Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. One of the biggest challenges in the social impact space is putting metrics and measurements around purpose-focused initiatives and getting a handle on why consumers do the things that they do. Luckily for us, Porter Novelli's Senior Vice President of Marketing, Research, and Insights, Whitney Daly, is on the case. In this episode, Whitney and I chat about two absolutely fascinating studies that Whitney and her team have recently released. The first is about the prevalence of cancel culture and what brands can do if they are canceled. The second is a deep dive into consumer behavior and how emotional or gut reactions to brands can drive action and where purpose fits in that complex equation. These are two studies you're going to want to read if you haven't already. So buckle your seatbelts for some social impact data goodness with Whitney Daly. Quick note before we get started with my interview with Whitney. As you probably know, Cause Talk Radio is a listener-supported podcast, and we need your support to continue releasing great content each week. I'm excited to share a new opportunity to become part of our inner circle that we're calling the Cause Crusaders. For just $5 a month, you'll get access to episodes a full week early in your own personal podcast feed, the ability to view live streams of our guest recordings, and other special bonuses along the way. So be sure to head over to truestory.fm forward slash cause crusaders and get signed up. That's truestory.fm forward slash cause crusaders. And thanks. Well, hello, Whitney, and welcome to Cause Talk Radio. Thank you, Megan. I am really thrilled to be here today. I feel like this is a long time coming, like we probably should have done this years ago. So I'm super excited to to have you here. But to just get us started today, since there might be like two people listening who don't know who you are, can you just share with our listeners who you are and what you do at Porter Novelli? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Whitney Daly, I work on our um, marketing team, global marketing team, but really I'm responsible for developing all of our thought leadership, research, and insights that helps to build the business case for purpose-driven business. Um, It's something I have been passionate about my entire career. I really believe in the power of business to create change, push on issues, and really build a better society for today and tomorrow. So that is a lot of what I do at Porter Novelli is just kind of making sure that people are equipped with the information, the research, the insights, and the tools that they need in order to sell this into the work that they're doing internally. Well, I feel like you have been like during COVID just cranking out research. I mean, you normally come out with really, really great content, really, really great, great research. I'm always excited to see it. But like the last couple of months, I've just been blown away by the sheer volume of what you've been doing. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So if you guys don't already um, follow Whitney and Porter Novelli and all of the great research they put out, you absolutely have to do that. And we'll um, I'll ask you at the end of the episode where people can do that, Whitney. But first, I, one of the studies you came out with that I was so literally drooling when you told me about was a study on cancel culture. And I just thought, what? That is such a great idea. So what compelled you to dig into cancel culture for brands? Yeah. um, So this is a really interesting one. I think I was just as excited as you were (laughs) to look into this. Um, And I think it's interesting because the term and the usage of cancel culture has really evolved even from when we first kind of conceptualized this this research in December of 2020. I think it continues to evolve and even be yep. organized today. 
Um, but what we were really interested in understanding is how the court of public opinion, and particularly online conversation, could impact a brand either positively or negatively. And as you know, Megan, you know, we've been tracking this um, for many, many years, and especially looking at you know, consumer likelihood to boycott. But cancel culture is something different, right? Um, totally. The New York Times calls it a, a cultural boycott. Um, so that got me really excited to kind of dive into the cultural conversation, the social media conversation. And for this study, we actually had the opportunity to overlay our online survey data with um, analytics. So the actual social media conversations around brands that had been canceled in 2020 to mm. unpack like what is actually happening in online conversation and how deeply is this really uh, impacting brands. And that's something I loved about your report is that you have these great statistics, but then at the end, you give like really, really specific examples of what, what's happening with specific brands. But one of the things you learned was that 69% of Americans see canceling a brand as a way to get attention for an issue or an act, but 68% also feel they can change a company's ways by canceling them. So did your research reveal anything that protects brands from being canceled or allows them to maybe be forgiven a little bit more quickly? if they do make a misstep? Yeah, there are definitely a few things brands can do to protect from being canceled in the first place. And I think, you know, that is what all... Don't ever do. say anything ever to anyone <laughs> publicly, ever, Well, there is period. this level of fear now for, for companies <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. that, you know, whatever they do, they're going to make someone upset. Um, but, you know, there, there are things that, that brand managers can do for sure. Um, the research found nearly three quarters of Americans, so 73%, said that they would be less likely to cancel a company if it is purpose-driven, which we love. Mm. Um, we also found 84% said that they would be more likely to forgive a company for a misstep if it's their first time making a mistake. Um, but beyond these data points, um, you know, we think of this in a number, number of ways that companies can really be proactive around this. Um, three lenses, purpose, market intelligence, and crisis. So purpose, you know, do you have a deeply embedded purpose that your stakeholders understand? Um, we know that that's just critical, number one. But in terms of market intelligence, you know, do you have an understanding of changing stakeholder expectations, the issues of the day, as well as future issues, and seismic cultural shifts that are happening? And then lastly, crisis. So, you know, when was the last time you exercised your crisis communications plan? Do you have modules and simulations in place? Do you know who your spokespeople are? Do you understand the unique risks to your organization? So these are three key areas that we kind of look at when we're working with companies to kind of help them preempt um, a cancellation situation. So they, they don't get in that situation in the first place, really. Well, and I think sometimes um, when you're focused on purpose and you're trying to do the right thing, I, I think there is some just natural risk there. And there is a possibility that you're going to say something with the best of intentions that rubs somebody the wrong way and it goes sideways. So I guess what you're saying is there are ways to do that. But really... It, it can be a risky proposition and you should know that going into it, that there may be some blowback and you, you know, you may not please all the people all the time. I think that's mm -hmm. also sometimes, I mean, I'd be curious to know your opinion on this, Whitney, but are brands properly prepared for the blowback that they may get, whether it's anticipated or not? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, we have research from other studies that show 
um, consumers are more likely to forgive a purpose-driven company, but they're also more likely to f- defend purpose-driven companies. So if you're mm. kind of bedrock in being purpose-driven and having stakeholders that are along for the ride, have aligned values, you are in a much better position to kind of navigate these waters. Um, there are instances where brands um, say something and they truly just need to apologize and um, address the situation and find a solution and a roadmap forward through programs and policies. And then there are other instances where a brand might say something, perhaps you know, standing for a specific population that offends a different population. Mm, and mm-hmm. they need to stand by those statements and say, this is part of our values as an organization. Um, and we feel strongly and, you know, this is who we are. Um, so there's yeah, kind of two yeah. sides to the cancellation coin, if you will. I'm, I'm curious about your opinion of this. So you found that a third of consumers feel that cancel culture is good for society. A third feel it's overused and about 20% think it is just bad for society in general. I'm so curious about, you know, your reaction to that data and your personal opinion. Like, where do you think cancel culture is headed in the future? Because it it does seem like the more we go down this road, the more like knee jerk it is. Um but I, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm so curious to know your personal opinion on this. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, right? Like Americans are basically equally divided on whether this concept in general is like actually good or bad in terms of its current usage. Um, for me, I think the term right now is especially fraught. You know, it is being weaponized, um, especially today. But I think the concept of corporate accountability is a good thing. Um, Cancel Mm -hmm. culture, whatever you want to define it as, you know, the use of social media to give a voice to stakeholders who previously really didn't have a direct line to providing company feedback. I think this is a good tool, um, honestly, for, for stakeholders and for companies. What this research really made clear is that Holding this is about holding companies accountable and changing companies for the better. Um, what's interesting is that for all of the reasons Americans said that they would cancel a brand, only 14% said because they wanted that company to go away altogether. So this isn't mm-hmm. about p- putting companies out of business, but more about taking feedback and hopefully improving. I think that's really important because I I do think that there are some people out there that feel that cancel culture has very malicious intent, but your research is finding that no, that not necessarily. It's not like they want these companies to go out of business. They want them to just be accountable. So um, I think that's such an important data set to to point to. Okay, well, what should a brand do if it's canceled? How do they get uncanceled? (laughs) Is that even a thing? Shameless plug, call Porter Novelli. No. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Just pick up the phone, call Whitney and her team, and they will make it all okay for you. (laughs) There there are data points in the study that that point to some steps that companies can take. So when we asked Americans, you know, what it would take to uncancel a company, the top two reasons were, you know, A, make a public statement of apology, or B, clarify the situation. Um, Mm. And you can see this play out in the case studies in the report, too. You know, companies either... Can they, can they can stand by that situation or they can try and mitigate. And with two specific examples from the report, we found in one instance, the brand that stood by that misstep without explaining really continued to suffer negative online sentiment far after that initial event. Whereas the brand that took mitigating steps directly after the cancellation actually bumped back into positive sentiment within a handful of weeks. Um, so there are mm. things that brands can definitely do um, to become uncancelled. And um, and consumers, for the most part, as we said, are willing to 
to work with brands and and kind of move on um, if they're if they're willing to kind of have those conversations. Is a non-apology apology even worse than issue? <laughs> you know how some people are like, "I'm sorry you felt that way and that you were offended." That type of apology is that even worse? Yeah, I mean, you know, in this world, saying nothing can be more of a signal than you know saying something altogether. Um, so. I think for a brand, you need to kind of step forward into that conversation because otherwise somebody else is going to be having that conversation for you. And that's not really yeah. what you want. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think to your point, you know, consumers are willing to be forgiving as long as the apology is genuine and heartfelt and there's some real action taken. So yeah, I think that's it's such a fascinating topic. Okay, but we cannot spend all of our time on cancel culture. Um, Whitney's going to tell you at the end where you can find this fantastic study. But um, you have another study. We were like going back and forth. Should we talk about one study or the other or both? So we're trying to do it all, you guys, because it's also good. So you have another. This was just another one. And I, I hate to be just such a fangirl of you, Whitney, but like this other one came out and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot, I cannot wait to dig into this. So you have something called the Purpose Perception Study. So explain the methodology behind this first, because, you know, this is a totally different way of looking at consumer behavior and consumer perception and measuring something like gut reactions, which seems impossible on the surface. So talk, and I know this may take you a few minutes to even explain, but what is implicit association testing? How did you do this study? Why are you so smart? (laughs) (laughs) This study just like made my research nerd heart pitter patter when I first... Absolutely. My my brain around it. Um, But it is, it's complex. It's really interesting. Um, So the magic of this study is really in the methodology. Um, You know, for a while now, Porter Novelli has really endeavored to complement self-reported data we see from online studies with something that gets beyond that aspirational answering bias that, you know, of course I'd switch brands to a cause right. price and quality uh, sure I will. when I'm, you know, clicking at my computer, filling out a survey. Um, so, you know, how do we, how do we explore different methodologies that kind of get beyond this? Um, two years ago, we did this through our 2019 biometric study where we measured people's physical and emotional responses to purpose-driven content by actually hooking them up to nodes, which tested things like facial expressions and heart rate and all sorts of fun, sciencey things. <laughs> so for this time around, um, we harnessed the power of social psychology to unpack individuals' kind of automatic, intuitive responses to purpose brands and attributes through the methodology, as you said, called implicit association testing. So. IAT, as it's called, is a measure within social psychology that detects our automatic, unbiased perceptions. You know, we all have biases. We don't necessarily know they exist or explicitly express them. Um, So IAT was basically originally developed to uncover our unconscious biases related to race, gender, age. Um, If you've ever taken an implicit bias test, this is probably the methodology that would be used. And it's now recently kind of under uh, expanded to marketing. So gaining a greater understanding of the influence of purpose on decisions consumers make. So for this study, we had respondents compare eight different brands in four industries, four brands that you would generally consider to be purpose-driven, and then four more kind of conventional brands. Um, so in this psychological test, we forced respondents into system one, so automatic intuitive thinking 
by asking them to kind of make decisions as quickly as possible. They actually only had 800 milliseconds to kind of make a decision about... Which is crazy. Very, very short. (laughs) And that basically eliminates, you know, any ability to kind of think through this. You really just have to make a response. And because of this, we were able to access respondents' automatic associations with these brands. Okay. So talk me through what exactly you looked at then through this lens. Like, What were you trying to intuit or discover about purpose-focused brands You know, once you were employing this methodology? Yeah. So you know, our brains are a vast seismic network of interconnected webs of knowledge, basically. So when the respondents are exposed to stimulus, in our case, we used a brand logo, just the logo, it activates this semantic network and triggers and what is felt about that brand. So as a result, respondents are faster to react to the appearance of words that they innately relate with that brand versus ones that they have to like think through a little bit longer. So basically, in very practical terms, the faster the reaction time to choose a specific attribute by actually just clicking on your keyboard, the stronger the implicit association. Um, so we were basically able to see you know, which, which words, values, attributes are triggering faster associations and therefore kind of deeply embedded into your, your psyche. So one of the theories you came up with was that purpose helps brands connect with consumers on an emotional level. So <laughs> can you talk about that a little bit? And then I guess my only devil's advocate thing here is like, aren't there non-purpose ways that brands could do this? Like if they're embracing happiness or something, you know, like an emotional something that's not purpose focused. So yeah, there are definitely a lot of ways I think that marketers can can tune into that emotional element. Um, great storytelling, a good customer experience, for instance. But there is just something that happens when a brand connects with consumers on purpose that is transcending the traditional consumer brand relationship. You're connecting on shared values. And that's a powerful thing. So we found that compared with brands that lead with functional brand attributes, consumers made higher associations between brands and purpose attributes than those functional attributes. So again, by- now what's a what's a functional attribute? Like give an example of what that is. Um, high quality, you know, okay. cheap or priced right, um, you know, performance-based type attributes. Um, some of our purpose attributes were, you know, responsible, ethical, inclusive. Um, those mm-hmm. were some of the words that we used. So basically, what we're seeing is when they're making these faster associations with the purpose words, it's suggesting that when consumers store information about brands, they're making stronger mental connections with purpose words. Um, you know, okay, so what does this mean? <laughs> Overall, you know, when a brand is purposeful, it's connecting with consumers on an emotional level, where a brand that's functional is connecting with consumers on a rational level. So we feel purpose automatically, but we have to think through function rationally, which means that purpose becomes more deeply embedded into our psyche and ultimately some of the decisions that we're making when we're associating with specific brands. Okay, so one of the things I loved about your research is that you take the next step and you say, okay, well, how does that drive action? Because who cares about what consumers are thinking, you know, in their head, whether they're emotionally engaged or not? You know, what's the action piece behind it? What did you learn about purpose as it relates to actual consumer behavior? And, you know, this is kind of putting the point on what you said earlier. Mm -hmm. When people are behind their computer clicking through a survey, like, of course I would choose a purpose-focused brand. But, like, Whitney is trying to figure out, would they actually? So what did you 
you, what did you discover about action? Yeah, exactly. So to kind of get to the action nuggets, um, we used a methodology called MaxDiff or maximum differential scaling. So we force respondents to select the least and most important messages from a set, which is repeated again numerous times in rapid pace um, to kind of get, get that connection. So when we did this, we uncovered that when compared again to your functional attributes, purpose attributes were more likely to drive certain desired brand behaviors. Um, so respondents were more likely to indicate purpose words as motivators for deciding which brands to trust, work for, be loyal to, and ultimately have a deeper connection with. So what this shows us is that purpose attributes are just motivating these reputational brand benefits that we are all looking for among consumers in a way that functional attributes are not. Um, so a strong consumer brand relationship goes further than traditional brand benefits, you know, cost, quality, function, by incorporating beliefs, traditions, practices, and even rituals that strengthen that affinity and make a brand a meaningful part of a consumer's lives and, and their value set. So I love that you've taken this kind of consumer gut reaction and kind of, you know, you've um, you've drilled way down into it scientifically to, to be like, well, why is that gut feeling that they have so much more powerful and so much more likely to drive action? Now, is that true for like all consumers or are some of us more, because I know I'm a gut feeling sort of person, but other people may be more analytical. Like, it, does it hold, like, it, does the data suggest that that is true across even people who consider themselves super analytical and rational? Yeah. So there is this concept of, um, in social psychology called system one versus system two thinking. Um, mm -hmm. There's a great book called Thinking Fast and Slow, if you're interested in really that. Oh, I want to read that. Yeah. <laughs> and what that is, um, that research is showing is that when consumers are making decisions, they're much more likely to use system one thinking than system two. So system one is your like automatic, intuitive, I'm just going to... Gut feeling. Yep. yep. Whereas system two is like what we think we all are using, but we're really not, which is rational. <laughs> you know, you slow down, you make your decision. Um, this, this kind of social psychology theory is saying that consumers are much more likely to use system one thinking. So yeah, it's, it's maybe it's the analytical thinkers among us are just better at rationalizing their gut feelings <laughs> than the rest of us. You know, the, the me's of the world are like, yeah, I just wanted it. That's why I bought it. And the analytical thinkers are like, well, I went through this whole equation of price and quality and all this. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I'm a system two thinker. That's awesome. Well, was there anything surprising to you about the, when you looked at this data, even in designing it? I'm always curious to know, like, you know, I would love to just be inside your head as you get the first data set and you're like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Was there anything yeah. that kind of shocked you? Yeah, this study definitely, uh, there were a couple moments where our eyes were really opened, I think. Um, one thing that was really interesting um, that we dove into was around overall brand preference. So not only just asking which which brands, you know, consumers preferred among our data set, but also why. So for this, it was pretty straightforward. We just asked consumers or our respondents, you know, of two different brands from the same industry, one considered purpose-driven, one considered conventional, which brand do they prefer? Um, and overwhelmingly, our respondents chose the purpose-driven brand, their preferred brand, over the conventional brand. So in three out of four cases, we saw this. And in the fourth case, we actually saw a tie. Um, but when we asked them to describe why they preferred these brands, so just say, you know, in an interview setting, what, what do you like about this brand? 
most respondents reverted back to functional description of oh interesting yeah so they they describe performance cost quality you know it tastes good it's good quality um so we were kind of like dumbfounded by this at first um but i think it's kind of interesting what it could imply you know although consumers prefer purpose-driven brands they actually have a harder time articulating exactly why that is. So it kind of mm. shows that there's something to this emotional connection that makes purpose more appealing. You know, it's kind of the secret sauce in a way. And it drives this underlying emotional connection to and preference for a brand. And it's so deeply embedded into our experience that it becomes a feeling that we can't necessarily articulate or even recognize it's there. Um, mm. So that was really interesting to kind of unpack that finding and kind of what it represented for, for our world. Um, for sure. Yeah. Kind of nebulous, like something that it's hard to put your finger on. So you have to default to something like we were saying earlier, much more rational about why you prefer it. Cause we all probably, I don't know. I don't mind being referred to as, you know, somebody that makes decisions emotionally, but (laughs) I'm sure there are, most of us are like, no, 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 I am very like methodical in my decisions. So just even, you know, articulating that, that's super interesting. Anything else that kind of jumped out at you that you were like, whoa, wasn't expecting that? Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing um, that we found, we actually did an exit survey after, and we found that, you know, even in their actual online survey responses, that they recognized that purpose was a differentiator in their consideration set when purchasing. Um, and a majority of consumers um, that we that we surveyed said when they're making a, a basically like grab-and-go situation purchase, that um, purpose can be a, a consideration factor and a differentiator there too. Um, so that was kind of interesting. You know, if, hmm. you're, if you're in a convenience store and you're buying two bottles yeah. of water, um, you know, purpose might be the reason why you choose one over the other. Well, this has all been tremendous. Whitney, thank you so much for just giving us a little sneak peek into these uh, fantastic recent reports that you guys have just released. Where can people find these reports online if they'd like to do that? Yeah, so we make them all um, publicly available to download. So they're on porternovelli.com on our findings page. Um, So please take a look at them, download them, share them. um, And I am here to answer any other questions about the research. Amazing. Well, I will put um, links directly to those study uh, studies in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. And we will look forward to hearing about your next study, Whitney. Well, we'll have to have you just back on Cossack Radio to talk about it. Thank you. I'm happy to come back anytime and nerd out with you about wonky purpose research. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you so, so much. 